Would you turn in your Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 1 with me? Acts chapter 1, and we will take our text this morning from Acts chapter 1, verses 15 through 26. There are times in our personal lives, as well as in our church life, where we reach a crossroads of decision. Dilemmas may confront us, confusion about the path forward. Certainly, as we come to Acts chapter 1, the disciples who are gathered in the upper room, the church that Jesus Christ had founded during his earthly ministry, are in a season of confusion. Though Jesus has given them clear direction about going to the upper room and abiding in Jerusalem to wait for the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit that would come upon them, which we'll see in Acts chapter 2, there also is a great dilemma that is facing them as a congregation, and it has a lot to do with the decision that needs to be made, and the way that that decision is made is detailed for us here in Acts chapter 1. Now, as we think about how a church makes decisions, and we're more speaking this morning in Acts chapter 1 about a New Testament church than about us as individuals, because we know there are decisions that we make as individuals which pertain to our individual lives, but there also are times when we need to make important decisions as a church, and we need to figure out what God's plan, God's purpose, God's direction, and God's will is in that situation. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 15, the, 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 the disciples have come up against a really important decision that they need to make. And it has to do with, I'll give you preface it before we read the text. It has to do with the betrayal of Judas. And of course, Judas was one of the 12 apostles that was chosen by Jesus Christ. But then his true identity became clear when he betrayed the Lord Jesus. And then of course, we know that after that, Uh, When things didn't go, evidently, according to what he imagined they would go, he went out and took his own life. And so now the church in Jerusalem is not only dealing with the fact that Jesus has now ascended back to heaven, and they're learning how to relate to Jesus in a different way than they ever have before, but they also are dealing with the fact that one of their own company, and in fact a man who was greatly respected by them, is now gone. And they sense a need to replace his office. And in doing so, as we read Acts 1, verses 15 through 26, we're going to see how they came to that conclusion, and we're going to see how they made the decision, and we're going to see what God thought of their decision as well. So let's begin reading in Acts chapter 1, verse 15. The Bible says, And in those days Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said... The number of the names together were about 120. Men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. For he was numbered with us and had obtained part of this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity, And falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst, and all his bowels gushed out. And it was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem, insomuch as that field is called in their proper tongue, a seldoma, 
that is to say, the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his habitation be desolate, and let no man dwell therein, and his bishopric let another take. Wherefore, of these men which have companied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John, unto that same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. And they appointed two, Joseph called Barsabas, who is surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen, that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship, from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. This morning, for the next few minutes, I'd like to speak to you about dilemmas and direction. And specifically, how does a church get the mind of God? Now, I want to point out to you that in Acts chapter 1, there is some disagreement about what is taking place in this passage. And if you are the kind of person that reads Bible commentaries, if you read more than one about this passage, you'll probably come across a couple of commentators who are of the opinion that the church made the wrong decision here in this chapter and that they should not have done this, that God had some other plan. Now, I'm going to demonstrate to you along in the course of the message this morning that that is completely wrong. That is not the accurate view of this passage, and I'll show you why from the Bible, so that you understand that what is taking place here is a church getting the mind of God and doing the will of God, and God will ratify that later on, and I'll demonstrate that to you so that you can be sure that what is taking place here is actually a good model of how a church gets alone with the Lord, and finds his mind. I also want to remind you that what is taking place in these verses is set in the context of a 10-day prayer meeting. So the church in Jerusalem is staying in this upper room at the command of Jesus before he ascended. They're waiting on the comforter to come, and during this time, they are spending time in prayer and in fellowship with one another as they wait for the promise of the Father. So this is a good environment for finding the will of God. When you're bathing yourself in in a time of prayer, it makes you sensitive to what God would like to do in your life. And certainly the church has prepared themselves to find God's will. So I have three thoughts this morning that I'd like to share with you that I hope will be an encouragement. And, And this morning the message is more in a, in a sense of just admonishment for us as a church and a reminder about the way that we do business as the Lord's assembly. Why is it important that we go about doing that business in the right way? So notice, first of all, the very first thing that comes to my attention in this text is that Scripture must provide direction for a church. And you probably noticed as we were reading through the text that the whole reason that this decision was being made was because of something that Peter, the apostle, discerned in the Word of God. And when he addresses the, the assembly, he speaks in terms of that which God has said. And he's indicating that what they have experienced was obviously predicted in the Scriptures, and the direction for where they need to go from here is also predicted in the Scriptures. And you'll notice 
as, as he's speaking about what has happened, that it goes without saying that this has been a distressing circumstance. If you could imagine what would happen in our church if one of our pastors or missionaries, one of the men on staff, suddenly got up publicly and said, I'm walking away from Christianity. I want nothing to do with the Bible. I'm going a different direction, and I can no longer be a part of this assembly. Can you imagine the shockwaves that would go through the congregation as people thought, what? We thought that person loved the Lord. We thought that person was fully committed to the work of God. We thought that person was one of us, and all of a sudden you realize that things are not exactly the way that they seem all the time. So as we think about this distressing time that they're going through, make no mistake about it, they're in a a state of shock and dismay. Not only has Judas walked away from Jesus, but Judas was actually the one who betrayed the Lord to the, the Roman soldiers so that he could be taken away to crucifixion. They cannot fathom how this could have happened. Why would Judas do such a thing? And I want to point out to you that when we come to a time of discouraging, distressing circumstances, that the place we look for guidance and clarity and a foundation to stand upon is the Word of God. If we're going to try to find stability in our feelings or our experiences or the opinions of one another, then we're going to be sadly mistaken. We've got to go to the Word of God and we've got to find a place to let our feet stand. And that's exactly what the church in Jerusalem did. When Peter stood up, he he spoke in verse 16 about the scripture must needs have been fulfilled. And then he speaks about this scripture in this way, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas. Now what stands out to me there in verse 16 is that though you and I are caught by surprise by events that take place in our life, even events that take place within the assembly, God is never caught by surprise. God already knows what's going to take place. And believe it or not, God in his wisdom has given us truth in his word to handle every possible situation that we could ever face. He's put it right in his word because he has anticipated what we will need in the hour when we are in a place of distress. And all I can say about that is, praise the Lord. Because if he hadn't thought about that, if he hadn't put those things there for us, where would we be as we try to find God's wisdom for distressing circumstances? I love how it says there in verse 16 that the Holy Ghost spake before concerning Judas. Hundreds of years before Judas betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ, David by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, spoke about what would happen and spoke about what would need to happen in order to replace Judas after his betrayal of Christ. Isn't that incredible? God anticipated what they would need, as God always anticipates what we will need. Now, the scripture that Peter refers to in these verses is a combination of wording from Psalm 69 and Psalm 109. And Peter takes them and puts them together and indicates that what they're experiencing 
is something that has been predicted and the answer to their situation is also found in the word of God. And what this tells me is that Peter was a man who knew the word of God. You know, it's unlikely that the disciples at this point had every one of them a copy of a scroll with all of the Old Testament on their lap that they could look through. They certainly didn't have a concordance to take out and look up key words and find a verse that went along with that to guide their thinking. Peter instead is going from his memory of what he knows about what the Bible says, and he's allowing the Holy Spirit to guide and direct his thinking, and he remembers, you know what? The Bible talked about this. And the Bible told us that this was going to happen, and the Bible told us what we should do when this takes place. And this is a reminder to you and I that in the assembly, in the New Testament church, you and I need to look to the Word of God for the direction that He has for us as a body. This also is strong motivation for us to make sure that our church gatherings are saturated with the Word of God so that we are becoming more and more familiar with the Scripture, so that in the time of need, the Holy Spirit can bring to our memory the thing that we need in that moment to find direction for our lives and direction for our church. It is the Scripture that the Holy Spirit uses to provide direction in the appropriate time. A church that is getting direction from other places besides the Scripture is going to go astray. But we can see very clearly in our text that this church in Jerusalem is getting their counsel and their direction from the word of God. So Peter is framing this discussion. He says, the Holy Ghost told us this would happen. And also the Holy Ghost told us in verse 20, it is written in the book of Psalms, let his habitation be desolate and let no man dwell therein and his bishopric let another take. And that phrase at the end of verse 20, let his bishopric, his bishopric let another take, is where they are getting the counsel for the decision that they are about to make. It, it, in other words, the question is, should we just let it go? Should we just have 11 apostles? Or should we choose someone to take Judas's place and step in so that we have 12 apostles again? And from the scripture, Peter reasoned that there should be someone who takes Judas's place. And so it would be necessary for the church to make a decision which would honor God in this area. So we see that scripture is dictating the decisions that they're making. Now, if we make sure that we bind ourselves as a church to the scriptures in our practice, in our doctrine, in our direction for the future, then we'll find that the scripture will keep us from straying into lots of areas of of what we might call the doctrinal weeds. It's going to keep us from going into places of error. It's going to keep us on the right track. And so we want to work as a church at always keeping the Bible front and center, always looking to the Scripture. So it's not going to be just a matter of, well, pastor says, but let's see what the Bible says. Let's make sure that we're building our lives and building our church and setting our direction upon, thus saith the Lord. Unfortunately, you know, if a church gets in the habit of just doing the things that the pastor says because the pastor said it, then when the pastor steps off the scene and someone else comes on the scene, they'll be in the habit of doing whatever that new guy says 
and you'll find that a lot of things will get changed. A lot of things will be done differently, and sometimes even the doctrine will change. But if a church has the confidence that the truth comes from the Word of God, that everything should be chapter and verse, that everything should be thus saith the Lord, then that's going to help us a lot to make sure we maintain the right direction. So Scripture must provide direction for a church. The second thing that I see in this passage, which I think is a very important lesson, is that there is no one who is indispensable or irreplaceable in the work of the Lord. There is no one who is indispensable or irreplaceable in the work of the Lord. So when we think about Judas and as they're speaking about, as Peter's speaking about him here, you know, he's speaking about the tragedy of Judas and it was a terrible, terrible situation that Judas would betray the Lord as he did. But you understand that this came as a complete surprise to everyone. No one was seeing the signs of Judas betraying the Lord Jesus. The only one who knew was Jesus himself. All the other disciples were completely fooled. In fact, we could say about Judas, he was one of the star disciples. He was one of the ones that everybody respected, that they looked to him. He was highly regarded enough that he carried the bag which contained the treasury of the offerings that were given. And we also find out later, and I guess the disciples found out later, that he actually was a thief and that he was pilfering from the bag. But nobody suspected it at the time. Certainly, we know that Judas thought of himself as having great importance, as being a key to whatever Jesus had come to do. And we also know that Judas seemed to have a divergent idea about what Jesus had come to do than what Jesus had declared. And my personal opinion is that Judas was not so much betraying Jesus in order to get rid of Jesus. I believe he was betraying Jesus to try to manipulate or force Jesus' hand to do something that Judas felt he should have been doing from the first. I believe that's what was going on. I can't prove that to you from Scripture, but I do believe that was what was in Judas's heart. Now, it was shocking that Judas did what he did. There's no doubt about that. But you understand that God already had a replacement for Judas. God already anticipated that this was going to happen. God was not caught by surprise by this thing. The truth is that the sin of Judas, his betrayal of Jesus Christ, revealed that he, though he was a disciple and appeared to to follow Christ with dedication... He was actually a lost man. He he was possessed of the devil. He was filled with the devil because of what he did. He had deceived all the other disciples. And this is shocking because we struggle with this. We think, well, how could somebody who appears so genuine actually not be a disciple? And I'm just going to tell you that it happens all the time. Judas had deceived all of the other disciples. And we should be reminded that at times there will be vital disciples who seem to be absolutely vital to the work of God who will turn out to be not disciples at all. We'll be deceived and we'll find out that they were deceived. And this does happen. You you find, you know, people who have stood and preached the word of God and then a little ways down the road, they just walk away completely from the faith. They go off into terrible sin. They they go off a different direction, leave the Lord Jesus Christ. And when this happens, it's shocking. 
It's something that gets our attention. We think, how could such a thing happen? How could people be so deceived and how could they be so deceptive? Well, the truth is, it's, it's nothing new. It's something that has happened and will continue to happen. But you understand that I think the lesson that the Lord wanted the church to learn here in Acts chapter 1 is that a church can become too dependent upon men instead of upon the sufficiency of the Scripture. We can make a mistake when we start looking to a man, the man in the pulpit. And you might say, well, we, we trust our pastor. And, and I mean, I, I hope that you trust me. I hope that I've given you reason to trust me. But you understand that your trust in any man could be misplaced. You, any, man, any man can mess up. Any man can be deceived himself. Any man could go the wrong direction. And, and unfortunately, what happens is that when someone steps away from the faith, when someone goes a different direction than what they've been teaching and what they've been preaching, it tends to shake the faith of a lot of people. And they start saying, oh, well, maybe the Bible's not real. Maybe what I've believed is not true. And I want to say something to you this morning. No matter what any man says or does, let God be true and every man a liar. You can always have confidence in the word of God, but you can also be assured that there will be times that men will fail you. Don't be surprised when people that you never suspected end up walking away from the truth, walking away from faith. Don't let it shake your faith. You make sure of your own relationship with God. You make sure that your faith is founded upon the scripture, upon thus saith the Lord, so that your faith need not be shaken when someone steps away from that which they've said that they believe. Now, when we think about this, none are indispensable or irreplaceable in the work of the Lord. The church in Jerusalem is going to find this out over and over and over again in the days ahead. Because a lot of these apostles, the the 11 who are mentioned here in this passage, within a short time, are going to be taken away from the work in Jerusalem, either through death or imprisonment or through relocation to another area to do the work. And pretty soon, the church in Jerusalem is going to look a lot different than it's going to look at the end of Acts chapter 2. Things are going to change. But we have a tendency to look, and we, we like things the same way. Don't you like things the same way? We like things to be predictable. We want things to, to, to be that which we could expect. Okay, well, I know what's going to happen next. And it tends to shake us up if someone gets taken out of the picture that we've put our confidence in or that we've had a lot of hope in. But I want to remind you this morning, there's not a man or a woman in this auditorium that is so necessary to the work of God that God cannot continue his work without them. You see, if, if I'm not here tomorrow, Lehigh Valley Baptist Church can go on. It's not necessary. Now, I'm privileged to be a part of what God is doing, and I'm thankful for that opportunity, but this church doesn't require me to do what God wants to do in this world. And that could be said of every member of this church. Though God has a vital place for you, and he wants to use you in his service, he doesn't need you. You need him. So be reminded this morning that there's no one who's indispensable or irreplaceable in the work of God. You say, well, what does this have to do with dilemmas and direction? It has this to do with it. Too often, we put our focus on the direction for the future 
upon some person. Okay, well, they've got to be here for that to take place. Well, they've got to be present in order for us to go forward by faith. Well, without this person, we couldn't possibly do the things that we're doing, and our confidence is misplaced. God's plan has not changed. God's intention has not been redirected because Judas is off the scene. God's plan is not going to change when some of these apostles become martyrs. He's still carrying out his plan. So just remember that he's the one who's doing the work, and we get to work with him. He's the one who's indispensable, not you and I. And that brings us to the third thought this morning about their dilemma. And that is, third of all, God shows his will as churches make prayerful decisions. So we see the scripture was the basis of why they were making this decision. It gave them a, a direction for what they needed to do. The, the dilemma that they faced was because of the failure of man. So they don't want to put their confidence in man. But notice that the way that God reveals his will is through the church, through people who are going to express what they believe God's will is. And we see uh, how this takes place in verse 23. There's a couple steps. First of all, they looked at the congregation and they said, well, there's two men that we could recommend for this that we believe would be a good replacement to be, in this case, the 12th apostle. One of those men is a man named Joseph, who is called Barsabas, who was surnamed Justice. So he had a lot of names. And then the other guy was Matthias. And he just had one name. And you might say the reason Matthias got the vote is because people remembered him better because he just had one name. I don't know. All right. But we had two guys. And these two men are recommended to the church. And they're appointed to, to fulfill the qualifications. Now, you'll notice that some qualifications are given for what these men have to be. In verse 21, Peter said, Wherefore of these men which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John unto that same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. So there's some things that needed to be true. These needed to be men who had received baptism from John. They needed to have been there from day one, from the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. They needed to have been witness of Jesus' ministry and also to be witness of the resurrection. So when we think about these qualifications, what we would call the qualifications of an apostle, I just want to make a side note here that there are some people in the world today who call themselves apostles, and they are taking that title errantly. There are no apostles alive today. And when someone says, I am apostle so-and-so, you could just figure they're probably teaching some sort of false gospel, certainly some sort of false emphasis from the scriptures. They certainly have a misunderstanding of the sign gifts. The apostles were a very select group of men who were given a very important task that was to be the primary eyewitnesses to the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. Before the scriptures were finished, they're going to be the eyewitnesses who are going to share what they had seen. They're going to impact the world. So they are a very special class of individuals. Now, the word apostle just means sent one. And in that sense, all Christians are sent by the Lord to do a task but not all Christians are apostles. 
Not all Christians can fulfill this capacity. So there's two men that are chosen. They meet the the qualifications and they're referred to the church. And then we notice in verse 24 what the church does in response to this recommendation is they prayed. So there's good counsel right there. Before we make decisions as a church, it's wise for us to spend time praying and trying to discern God's will. And they asked the Lord, who knows the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen. Now, I don't want you to take that to mean that one of these men is a traitor like Judas. But I do want to point out that at this point, the church is really stinging from the betrayal of Judas and walking away, and they want to make sure that they choose the right guy so that this doesn't happen again. And they say, Lord, we need to know your mind. We need you to show us exactly what you want done in this situation. Now, there's a man who is chosen, and it says in verse 26 that his name is Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Let me say just a word about how they made their choice In verse 26, it says they gave forth their lots and the lot fell upon Matthias. And some have read that and said, oh, well, that must be like a a game of chance. You know, like maybe they were throwing dice or they were doing something and, and somehow God was supposed to take that and reveal his will. I do not believe that is what this is speaking about in this case. When it speaks about them giving forth their lots, I believe that's the same thing as what we do when we give a vote. When we say, I believe this is God's will, I believe this is God's direction, and I'm willing to put my name on that and say, I've prayed about this, and I believe that God wants us to do this. That's my opinion, and I believe this is where God is taking us. So they they gave their vote, they gave their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias. In other words, there were uh, more people who said, we believe Matthias is the one than those who said, we believe this other guy Uh, Joseph Barsabas Justice is the guy. All right. So now what we don't know is how many people voted for Matthias and how many people voted for the other guy. It doesn't matter. That's not the point. Maybe it was unanimous. Maybe God made it that clear. Maybe there were some who really felt because they were personal friends with Joseph Barsabas Justice and they thought, you know, he's a great guy. I think he should be the one. And so maybe they said, We want him to be the one, and they voted in accord with that. I'm not exactly sure how the vote went, but we do know from the scripture that the vote went in the favor of Matthias, and he was the one who was chosen. Now, I told you that I would indicate from the scriptures why the Holy Spirit indicated that he accepted the decision of the church. So let me give you some reasons for that. First of all, in Acts chapter 6 and verse number 2, there was another dilemma that was facing the congregation. You could turn over there if you want. Acts chapter 6 and verse number 2. We're really close by. The church is coming to another point of decision. But I want you to notice what the Holy Spirit says in Acts chapter 6 and verse number 2. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said. Now you say, what is significant about that? What's significant about that is the Holy Spirit put... This man, Matthias, in with the other 11 and simply said, the 12. He was numbered with the apostles. You want something else, we won't turn there, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 5, speaking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Bible says that Jesus showed himself 
to the twelve. Remember, Judas died before the resurrection. He was already gone. So before the church even voted, God recognized Matthias as being one of the twelve and said that Jesus appeared in his resurrected body to the twelve. All right, so is there reason to believe that the Holy Spirit agreed with their decision? I believe so. I don't believe there's any reason to believe that this was an unspiritual decision or that the church was somehow in error, that they did something wrong. No, actually, what we find is that they were following the will of God. Now, go back to Acts chapter 1 and notice that all of this had a purpose, right? All of this had the intention of being ready to be used of God. And they believed that the scripture had revealed to them they needed 12 men who were willing to be eyewitnesses. So by, the, by seeking the Lord, by praying, they found God's will. They said, okay, this man, Matthias, he's going to be number 12, and he is numbered with the 11 apostles. Now, what I want to point out to you here is that God takes seriously the proceedings of a church and the decisions that are made. I'm not suggesting that a church, a congregation, can never be wrong. I'm not suggesting that a church always makes the right decision. But I am pointing out to you that if a church, a true New Testament church, makes a decision, you ought to pay attention to what's going on. That's not just some sort of thing where some people got together and said, well, this is what we think we ought to do. This is the assembly of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when a decision is made, you ought to honor that decision. You ought to, you ought to respect that decision. One thing that we don't seem to find in this passage, we don't find the people who were friends of the other guy saying, hey, it's not fair, we didn't get our way. We don't even find this guy who didn't get chosen saying, Hey, what about me? Because service for the Lord is not a popularity contest. It's not, oh, well, I got overlooked and nobody pays attention to me and I didn't get the vote, so I'm leaving the upper room. We don't find that happening. Evidently, he stayed. The church continued on in full unity, which is spoken about in chapter 2. They were completely in unity together and God used the decision that they made to prepare them for the coming of the Holy Spirit and the incredible miracle that is going to take place on the day of Pentecost. God shows his will as churches make prayerful decisions. Now you say, Pastor, this is a really odd thing to preach about on a Sunday morning. Well, it is a little different than the type of Sunday morning messages that we usually preach, but it's in the text. So here we are. We're going to deal with it. And, and what we learn about this is that the Lord values a New Testament church. He values the decision-making process of a New Testament church. And when we as a church make decisions, we ought to be very careful that we are submitting ourselves to the will of God. I want to say something else about how we make decisions as a church, which is pertinent to this discussion. When it's time to vote on something as a church, when we're making decisions about something, it's not the time for us to say, well, I think. What I feel, what my impression is, or what I would like to do is. It's the time for us to say, you know, I've prayed about this, and the scripture says, and I believe that this is God's will. I believe that this is what God would want us to do. We ought to do the very best that we can as a church 
to make spirit-led decisions that would honor and glorify the Lord. In this case, evidently, the Lord was pleased with the decision of the church. He ratifies the decision of the church. This church is going to continue on in unity, serving the Lord. God takes seriously their proceedings. The work of God is going to go forward. You know, the sad thing is that sometimes when churches are trying to make decisions, the flesh can get involved. And, and all of a sudden, you've got people that are at odds with each other, and they're fussing over things, and they're saying, well, I would like this, and I prefer this, and my feeling is this, and none of that is relevant when we're making decisions about what the Lord wants. We really are just seeking, I believe this is God's will. And then, if the rest of the church has a different opinion about God's will, you know the right thing to do is? Well, I must have been mistaken about God's will. I must have misread it. I must not have understood it. I mean, unless you have really plain chapter and verse. You know, if the rest of the church says, we've decided that works are the way to be saved and you no longer have to believe in Jesus. Well, you've got a pretty good foundation to stand on with the scripture to say, the church is wrong. I'm going the direction of the scripture. But you know, most of the time, that's not the case. It's just, well, I prefer, I like, I feel, and it's fussing over this and that. And then when the decision is made, the people who didn't get their way feel like, oh, I never get my way. That's unspiritual. You see, the goal is to yield ourselves to the Lord. The joy of preaching a message like this is we don't have a problem like this in the church right now. Praise God. So we can preach about this freely and we can say this is the way that decisions should be made. So when we have dilemmas, we look to the scripture for direction. We're reminded that God does not need any one of us. All of us are dispensable in some way. And actually, one day, all of us are going to be gone. At some point, all of us are going to be off the scene and not here anymore. Aren't you glad? I mean, if the, if the work of God depended on us being here, that would mean that we would have to live forever in this body. We could, couldn't go to heaven. So I'm, I'm glad that we're all dispensable. And then God shows his will. And many times as believers, we can grapple with submitting ourselves to the process of how God shows his will and allowing God to have his will and his way in our lives. But we need to be willing to submit to that. So let me ask you some questions as we bring this to a close this morning. First of all, are you as a church member, and I'm primarily talking to members of Lehigh Valley Baptist Church, are you serious about allowing the scripture to provide direction for our church? Is that something that you say, I am absolutely committed to doing what God shows us in the word of God? I trust that you are. That should be the intention. That should be the motivation of every one of us to say, you know what, if I see it in the Bible and I see that we as a church should be doing that, then we should be doing that. And my vote's going to be right there. Let's follow God. Second of all, do you put too much confidence in men? instead of in God, who reveals the heart of men. We can, we can fall. We can have an error in this way of putting way too much confidence in men, and then we become overly disappointed when men fail us. Third of all, do you ever take time to examine your heart and make sure of your profession of faith? Good. You say, now why did you ask me that? Because if Judas could be deceived, any one of us could be deceived. 
So let's take the time to do what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. Examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. Make sure that your confidence is in Jesus Christ. Make sure that there aren't any false motivations that have come in that are causing you to say that you're a Christian when you're not truly a follower of Jesus Christ. Do you ever take the time to examine that? You say, Pastor, that sounds like you're encouraging us to doubt our salvation. Nothing of the sort. If you're truly saved, you'll find that the more you examine your salvation, the more assured you will become. Because you'll just become more and more convinced that you have believed that which is true. There's nothing, there is nothing to be afraid of about examination. And if you're afraid of examination, that's a bad sign about what's going on in your heart. Last question this morning. Do you submit yourselves to the, yourself to the decisions that are made by the assembly, even when it doesn't agree with your personal opinion? Are you willing to say, okay, well, that's what the assembly believes is God's will, and I'm willing to go along with that, I'm willing to continue serving the Lord even if I didn't get my way in that situation. And I trust you can answer in the affirmative for that.